You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Two Frogs. Hello my radio friends, welcome to the program today. I want to start with a short story. You could probably call this a parable. It has some different versions. Well, there were two frogs that lived in a creek, passing through a dairy farm. They were the best of friends. One was fat frog, and the other was thin frog. In the springtime, they would join the frog choir, but usually they stayed near the creek. One day, they decided to have an adventure, so they hopped through the green paddock up to the dairy. They were amazed at all the gadgetry in the dairy. Then they spied a bucket. I wonder what is in there, chirped Fat Frog. Let's have a look, replied Thin Frog. Then they both leapt into the bucket, which was half filled with cream. The trouble was that neither of them could leap out again as the sides of the bucket were too smooth. So they swam around in the cream, hoping someone would come along and rescue them. After about an hour, Fat Frog announced that he was exhausted and wanted to give up. Thin Frog encouraged his friend to keep going. So they swam and swam for another hour. But Fat Frog could not continue, gave one last gasp, closed his eyes and sank to the bottom of the cream. Thin Frog was heartbroken that his friend had died but kept on swimming. After two more hours, something marvellous happened. With the constant stirring, the cream had turned to butter. Thin Frog was able to leap out of the bucket and scamper off back home. Persistence pays. Such was also the case with Colonel Sanders. Most people salivate at the thought of a nice piece of chicken, regarding, regardless, rather, I should say, of how it is cooked. What if someone told you that one of the famous chicken companies was as a result of the last efforts of a man's survival tactics? Colonel Sanders is the man behind the famous Kentucky Fried Chicken, KFC. And don't let that word Kentucky deceive you into thinking that the restaurant is located or serves the residents of Kentucky only. KFC restaurants are distributed in 123 countries across the globe and has over 20,000 outlets. You may like to know that as a fast food company, it is ranked second after McDonald's. Now let's talk about the founder of KFC, Colonel Sanders. Truth being told, most of us have a mental timeline of how our lives should progress. Psychologists and other life scientists definitely have their analysis. While theories differ, 
you can be certain of one thing. At 60 plus years of age, most people are expected to have accomplished most of what they wanted in life and are ready to retire. But there are exceptions. After a humble life that was characterised by the death of his father and having to take care of his siblings before he was 10 and having to find a job at 10 years of age and dropping out of school for lack of fees and then getting married and divorcing, Colonel Sanders started KFC at the age of 66. At this age, he was almost broke, and he took his remaining little money to buy a few chicken pieces, deep-fry them using his special recipe, and selling them to his neighbours. The rest is history. The chicken business grew beyond his wildest dream. Persistence pays. But how does that apply in one's spiritual life? Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 has the answer. It says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Jesus told a parable about how we should never give up. We can read it in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Ah, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because the widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So, in what ways must a Christian be persistent? And I'd like to suggest that there are four things. Firstly, a Christian must be persistent in believing in, following and serving the Lord. Secondly, a Christian must hold on to his or her beliefs, provided those beliefs are not in error. Thirdly, a Christian must be persistent in prayer. And fourthly, we must be on constant guard against the evil one, Satan. The Apostle Paul was once, once Saul 
the fanatical Pharisee. But an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus completely changed him. There, he became a follower of Christ, a Christian, and devoted the rest of his life as a missionary to teach Gentiles the way of salvation. And it was not all easy sailing, and there were many setbacks. But Paul summarised his own life in Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14, and he said, Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press onward toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward, heavenward in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 11 is a treatise on the lives of God's faithful people down through the ages. Chapter 12 begins with this statement, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And some religious people seem to have the idea that when someone accepts Jesus into their lives, everything in life will go smoothly. Well, I can tell you that is not the case. God will give us strength to cope with our difficulties, but each individual Christian has to make day-to-day -day decisions to remain faithful. And sometimes there will be great opposition and obstacles. In thinking about persistence, I've come up with a formula. It's this. The level of persistence required is dependent on the perceived value of the end object. To illustrate, we have a, a number of places in our home where a notepad and pen are kept to write shopping lists, reminders, etc. Each pen is a comfortable-to-hold, fine-tipped click pen. If a pen is missing, that's not a problem. Just go to the box. And I bought 40 of these pens at the market. And you go to the box and get another one. However, I have a special pen that was given to me by my aged mother. It doesn't work any better than the others, but has a much higher sentimental value. And I'm much more diligent about keeping the whereabouts of that pen in mind. We're going to have a little break here and go on straight afterwards. Precious memories Unseen angels Sent from somewhere to my soul How they linger Ever near me 
And the sacred past unfold Precious memories How they linger How they ever flood my soul In the stillness of the midnight Precious sacred scenes unfold Precious father And loving mother Fly across the lonely years And old home scenes Of my childhood In fond memory appear Precious memories How they linger How they ever flood my soul In the stillness Of the midnight Precious sacred scenes unfold Mother praying, father too on bended knee. The sun is sinking, shadows falling, but their prayers still follow me. memories how they linger how they ever flood my soul in the stillness of the midnight precious sacred scenes unfold Now let's deal with the four things that apply to Christians with regard to persistence. The first was that the Christian must be persistent in believing in, in following and in serving the Lord. In my youth there were a number of other young people I used to associate with. We all went to the same church, heard the same sermons and held the same beliefs. But, as Jesus explained in the parable of the sower, there are different reactions by different individuals. 
One of my friends met a nice young lady who had no religious inclinations. Brian soon found himself pulled away by his attraction to this girl and lost his spirituality. In later life, Brian committed suicide by shooting himself. What a tragedy! He had failed to heed the words of Jesus in Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. It requires day-to-day choices to continue to believe in God's word, to follow the Lord and to do his will. We need to be persistent in setting our goals in life. Brian was tempted and succumbed, and of course I was tempted too. But the difference was that I kept in mind what God required of me and found it threatening to be at odds with the one who gave his holy, sinless life to save me. The second area of persistence required in the Christian life is that a Christian must hold on to his beliefs, provided those beliefs are not in error. The fundamental belief by all Protestants is that salvation is only obtainable by accepting the grace of God, in that God the Son, Jesus, gave his life in exchange for ours. Salvation is by grace. But sadly, many Protestants have strayed from God's word and have included in their belief system doctrines that are not from God's word, but instead are parts of pagan philosophy or the devil's blatant lies. Several of these ideas are substitution of worship on the seventh day of the week for Sunday worship, or belief that at death the saved go straight up to paradise, or the wicked straight to hell, which is a system of belief built on the first lie ever told on planet Earth. God said that if we disobeyed him we would die. Satan came along and contradicted God and said we would not die. Well, who was right? (laughs) You can check the results in a cemetery. But then Greek philosophy stepped in. It proclaimed that body and spirit, or life, were two separate entities, and that the spirit could continue to exist without the body. But the Bible doesn't teach that. And I feel quite ashamed when I think of millions of people around the world who accept these and other false doctrines. What would the Apostle Paul have to say to them? Well, here's what he said to the young minister, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. On the subject of believing what is right and not accepting erroneous doctrine, one Christian writer writes, Real achievement requires tenacity. What we obtain too easily we esteem too lightly. The difficulties in the Bible give us an opportunity to set our brains to work and the determination and persistence with which we pursue a solution 
reveals how important the solution is for us. Any time we spend studying the Bible to find out more about its meaning and message is time well spent. Timothy was admonished to present himself as approved to God and who correctly handles the word of truth. How does one become approved of God? I believe the Bible gives the appropriate answer in Revelation 14:12, which says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they who obey the commandments of God and are faithful to Jesus. Is there anything in that verse that suggests that we can pick and choose what commandments we should keep? No, not at all. The text is all-inclusive and means keeping the commandments in their totality and being totally committed to Jesus. By the way, that description of the saints as being patient includes the meaning persistence. Persistence in prayer. Well, a Mormon missionary once said to me, after I told him that I'd read part of the Book of Mormon and rejected its teachings, that I should pray to God and ask him to reveal to me that the Book of Mormon was true. And I thought about that, and that was just like telling God to show me that a lie was truth. No way. I believe all Christians should be people of prayer, but God is not there to be ordered around, nor should we ask him to do anything contrary to his will or his own holy nature. We should be grateful and humble and ask that God would prepare our hearts, be willing to do his will at all times. Prayer is to help us to prepare. Now the fourth way the Christian is to be persistent is we must be on constant guard against the evil one, Satan. The Apostle Peter in his first letter to the churches under his care had this to say to his congregations in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Then there is a further admonition by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church members in Ephesus found in Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms." There are at least four things the devil wants you not to know. The first is that he doesn't want you to know of his existence and his evil corrupting influence in the world. The second thing is he doesn't want you to know that God exists. 
The third is that he doesn't want you to know of God's provision for you to be saved from your sins. And the fourth is that if you've recognised God's existence, he wants you to think that God is harsh and unforgiving. There is one religious organisation I know about who deny the existence of the literal devil, despite what is written about the devil in the scriptures. They say that the devil is only metaphorical and sin is the result of human evil natures. Of course, I contest that view, and I have a very pertinent question. When God created this world, how did he make it? Well, of course, it was very good. In that case, where did evil and disobedience come from? The word of God is clear enough to understand and gives names and many references to the devil. To me, it requires a very confused mind to spiritualize away the existence of the devil. Second point, Satan doesn't want anyone to know that God exists. His strategy has been to promote world views like communism and evolution that deny God's existence. And then there's been a general push to discourage people from accepting the Bible as a true and authentic book. Consequently, in our day and age, Christianity is becoming less popular and secularism is on the increase. Third point. By removing God from people's lives, they will not easily learn that there is a way to be saved. In addition, the devil tries to fill people's lives with diversions like pleasure, entertainment, sport and so on, so that there's very little opportunity for them to wonder what life is all about. Fourthly, and this is one of Satan's master strategies, he wants people to think that God is harsh, removed and unfeeling. Consequently, some false doctrines like punishment in an ever-burning hell and never being good enough to receive eternal life abound. My friends, today we started with a story about two frogs. The one who went on to live was the one who persisted. And the same applies to us as human beings. The ones who will be given eternal life will be those who persist to continue in the way of the Lord. And it's my prayer for you that you will be part of God's eternal kingdom. But it's your choice. So, until next time, this is Len wishing you faith, perception, persistence and a willingness to do God's will.